Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be in your presence today. And Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that you'd speak very clearly. Help us to see it, Lord, as as individuals and as a church. What is it that you want to do in our lives, uh, in the fellowship here at Elm Grove? We thank you for each person that's here. And Lord, I I believe you've got a specific word for each of us. And so, Lord, uh, speak very clearly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever wondered, does, does the preacher have any kind of plan, any kind of agenda for what exactly he's preaching? I mean, why is it that you show up on a specific Sunday at a specific church and that guy is preaching that thing at that time? Maybe that never crosses your mind. I, I don't know. But if, you, if, you, if you've ever wondered, does the preacher have any kind of agenda? I can only speak for myself, and the answer is absolutely. Have an agenda all the time. Now, for some of you, well, hold on just a second. No, we've got, we got an agenda. Well, of course I do. Got an agenda. I, 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 I preach specific things for specific reasons at specific times. Mostly my agenda, I'll just, just tell you up front for full disclosure, is that as it says here on the pulpit, sir, we would see Jesus. I want you to see Jesus each week. That, that's that's my main agenda is that you would see the Lord, the salvation that he's offered. You'd recognize your own need for that salvation and you'd surrender your life to him. And for those who have already given their lives to Jesus, my agenda for you would be that you would absolutely, completely, fully, with no strings attached, no reservations, give yourself over to him completely and never look back. That's my agenda. Now, more specifically, in certain sermons and series that I preach, I have a, an agenda. I want to accomplish this or that, or I believe this has come up, and we might need to address this or whatever. This particular series is one of those. Just so you know, there's an agenda with this. I want us to make sure that we are as healthy a church as we can possibly be. And so that's my agenda with this series. So have you ever wondered, does that guy have any kind of plan, or does he just get up on Sunday morning and say, man, I, I forgot, i got to work today. So one day a week that I have to work, and everybody's going to be there to watch me work, I better come up with something. That's not exactly what I did this morning. But I do have a, a specific purpose. In fact, lots of different purposes. Uh, this series, Three Signs of a Healthy Church. My, my purpose is for this, whether you are a regular attender here at Elm Grove or not. I, I really believe that even just if you're here just this one Sunday, that this this can help you. I, I really do believe as I prayed this morning, I said, God, I think you've got something to say. So, God, I don't know exactly how to say it all, but Lord, just you say it and maybe, maybe that'll be good enough. I believe part of my purpose for preaching this particular series, I really do believe it's my responsibility as the pastor of the church to make sure to keep us on track or to get us back on track for some certain things, whatever that may mean. So that's part of it. I want us to make sure that we are as healthy a church as we can be. That's part of my responsibility. Uh, there are times when I, when I see things that nobody else sees. That doesn't mean that I have x-ray vision. That just means that I work here. And so I see some things. I, I, you know, I was talking with Eddie Cloud earlier. I've gone to school for this kind of stuff. And so things that I read and so on, I just, okay, wow. I, you know, I maybe noticed something like that. Doesn't mean that I'm seeing things nobody else ever sees, but there's some things. So, okay, let's make sure to address these and make sure that we're staying on track. I've also served in a variety of, of churches. 
My home church was the first church that I, that I got to be on staff at, and that's in Louisville, huge, huge church. At the time I was serving there, there was over 2,500 people coming every, uh, every Sunday morning. In fact, the largest Sunday school class in the church was about this size. It was a Sunday school class. Just kind of put that in perspective. Some of you have never been to a church that big. It would just overwhelm you. That was my home church. I grew up there. It never seemed that big to me, and that was the first church I worked at. Then I moved to, we moved to Atlanta, and I served at a, at a relatively new church. It was a church plant, a church start, and, and it was just about three or four years old. But it had really gotten big, and it was a very, very exciting place to be and all that. And I came here, which is very, very different from those two places. I've served in a variety of different churches. And the one thing that seems to be the most difficult element to maintain in all of those kinds of churches is the health of the church, the spiritual health. I I think it's easier in some cases to get more people to show up. It's easier to, to come up with some really creative and cool programs than it is to make sure that the church stays healthy. Now, I'll just tell you, for full disclosure, this is not going to be an either-or kind of series. I've served in huge, huge churches, and I've served in a church the size of Elm Grove, which is a big difference from those two churches. This is not going to be either-or. I don't believe that we have to sacrifice our desire to see the church grow in numbers for church health. I don't believe that in order to be healthy, we have to sacrifice our desire to see the church grow in numbers. So this is both ends. But I think the, the, the most difficult thing that I've noticed anyway to maintain in church is the spiritual health of the church. Uh, I think also we need to know what a healthy church looks like. I realize that you all uh, are here for the most part just a limited time each week. I'm here a lot. You're not here as much as I am. You don't get paid to be here. Uh, so you go do other things and maybe it's just not for, for, you know, foremost in your mind. I just want to remind us, here's what a healthy church looks like. Um, if we know what's right, I believe we can then fix what's wrong. When I, when I coach young baseball players, especially my son, and Hank knows this, we, all that I bug him to death with it. I just drive him crazy. You can't imagine, can you? Um, when we're watching games, I mean, we, we have, we have DVR so we can pause it and kind of go slow motion on things. And I mean, I drive him nuts on, Hank, look at that. Look at this guy. Do you see what he's doing? We look at the best players in the world. I I don't go by what I've heard and what I learned at a conference years and years ago. We're going to look at what what does Mike Trout do? He's the best player on the planet. What's Bryce Harper doing? What are these guys doing? And then we'll know, okay, Hank, now if you're not doing this, you're doing it wrong. I want us to see here's what's right. Here's what God has said health in the church looks like. And if we get off of there, we'll recognize, well, hold on a second. Something's gone wrong. I also know that someday you might look for a new church. You might move. Some of you here today are looking for a church home. You may decide at some point that Elm Grove is no longer the place for you. I would hope that you would not decide that, but let's just say that you do. I want you to know what you're looking for. I want you to know, here's what a healthy church looks like. And so if God ever leads me to a different place, or or one of these days I'm looking for a church home, here's what it is I'm looking for. I want you to know those things. And I think most of all, I just want to make sure that we please God with what we do. Um, Far beyond any of those other things. So this series is about three signs of a healthy church. If you got your Bible handy and want to go ahead and turn there, look at 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 15. Now, as you're getting there, let me tell you a few things that church health is not dependent on. Church health, first of all, is not dependent on size. Just because the church is big does not necessarily mean it's healthy. And the flip side, for those of you that are anti-big church, just because the church is smaller does not necessarily mean that it's healthy. Okay? 
Get that straight. It's also not dependent on style. Just because the church is cutting edge and slick and cool and really exciting does not necessarily mean that it's healthy. And just because a church is old-fashioned does not necessarily mean that it's healthy. It's also not dependent on the age of the church. I'm not talking about the age of the members. I'm talking about how long the church has been there. Just because a church is new and God's doing a new thing doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy. And just because our church was founded before the Civil War does not necessarily mean that we are naturally more healthy than any other church. It's also not dependent on location. Church in the city, church in the suburbs, church in the country does not necessarily mean, well, we're out here in, on the east, east side of Callaway County. We've got to be healthy because this is God's country. I know some of you have grown up here and you believe that. I get it. It's all right. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we're healthy, right? You you get all that. So it's it's not dependent on those things. What it is dependent on and what we'll look at this month in October, and I've just chosen three and there are many more, but at least three things that I believe the church health is dependent on. First is the salvation of the people that are there. That's what we'll talk about this morning. I think a gospel focus to be to be founded on the gospel and the salvation that comes from the gospel, if we don't have that, then we, we, we're, we're wasting our time. Secondly, it's, it's also a sign of a healthy church is participation. We'll see this next week. That people are involved in the life of the church. They serve, they give, they attend, all of those things. We, we, we enjoy being together. We want to see God's mission fulfilled through our church. And then thirdly, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll look at unification. So salvation, participation, unification, all rhymes. Isn't it great? It's, it is. It's, it's great. Yes, come on. Killing me. The doors were open. It just threw you off, you know? It's, I know it. I know it. It's threw you off. That's great, though, isn't it? Three, anyway, you know you're in a Southern Baptist church with all the sermon series titles. They all rhyme. Anyway... So some other things that we're going to, we're going to do this month, and, 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 and I'll give you a couple of announcements, actually, in the middle of the sermon. Uh, you see in your bulletin there's a little sheet for an, our online directory. If you, if you say, you know what, I may or may not be a member here at Elm Grove, but Elm Grove is the place that I would consider to be my church, we want you to have your picture made so that we can update our online directory. We'll be able to print a directory for anybody that wants one. We're not going the old uh, the Olin Mills route. That's not what we're doing. But we're just going to take some informal pictures. You can just gather your family or yourself together as you walk out the door, and we'll do that. We want to update that. We want to make sure we've got current information on everybody. And there are lots of folks who want to be able to put a face with a name. I get that a lot. You know, there's a lot of new people in the church. I've been here a while. I don't really know them. I'd love to be able to put a face with them. How can I do that? Hey, we've got a way. So that's what, what's going to happen. Also, next Sunday evening at 530, we're going to offer what's called Discovery Class. If if you have never attended our discovery class, it's nothing spectacular, but it is very informative and, and I hope very beneficial. What we cover in that is here's what we believe, here's who we are, and here's how you can be involved. Those are some things about our church. And so if you've never attended that, I would really love for you to be there next Sunday evening at 530. We're going to provide a meal for anybody who shows up, and and, and that will happen then. If Especially if you have been at our church, say, less than three to five years You've, you've come recently, and maybe you've been attending for a while, but you've never stopped to think about what is it that Elm Grove actually believes and teaches? Uh, you know, what, what, how, do they, how are they run? How do they make decisions? How can I be involved? It would be wonderful for all that. I'm going to bug some people this week to get involved, just fair warning. 
Um, so those are some things that are, that are also going on this month. We want to make sure that we're talking about salvation and participation, unification, all those things. This morning, the focus is going to be on what is the most foundational, the most basic element of church health, and that is salvation. It's a gospel focus. Because to be honest, without salvation, we're not a church. We're just a group of folks that enjoys each other getting together every Sunday morning on the east side of Callaway County. That's what we are. If we, without gospel focus, without salvation, we're not a church. If we haven't been changed by the power of Jesus, then we're just getting together. We're just hanging out, which is fine, but we probably should not call ourselves a church anymore if that's what we're doing. You get what I'm saying? So that, that's just, this is foundational. If we, if we join the church, but we haven't truly given our lives to Jesus, then we've been deceived. Uh, and I, I've seen that. I've seen folks. You, you ever you ever have an experience with somebody who says, you know, years and years ago, I I walked the aisle and I got baptized, but I really didn't give my life to the Lord. I didn't know what I was doing. I want to make sure that we as believe as as a church truly do believe in Jesus Christ. We're not just joining the church. Uh, if we haven't been saved by God's grace, then the rhetorical question is, how in the world can we know what God wants for us to do in our individual lives and in our church. And if God's Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of us, then any decision that we're making for the church is really just kind of arbitrary and based on preference rather than on God's will. I say all that because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the Corinthians and reminded them of here's what's most important. A church that was facing a variety of issues, their issue mainly was disunity. They were not getting along on some things that probably shouldn't have caused any problem for them at all. And Paul spends the first 14 chapters addressing some specific issues. Here's how to handle this and this and this and this. And then he gets to chapter 15 and he says, look, just above all, let me just remind you of what's most important. So you put that in the context of he's addressing a church with issues that's not exactly the healthiest church in the world, and he takes them back to here's what's most important. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 3. says, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's the Apostle Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. Paul says, let me take you back to what's most important. I've, I've handed down to you what was passed on to me. Here's what's most important. And that is, then he presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he tells them, this is what you've heard. This is what you've believed. This is where you've received salvation. And this is most important. It's interesting that for a church that's experiencing some issues that needed direct involvement from a very strong and compassionate leader, Paul addresses the issues, but then he simply comes back and says, folks, no matter what we do, here's what's most important. The reason that salvation, you see this on your outline, the reason that salvation is the most important sign of church health is because it keeps the main thing the main thing. You ever heard that? The main thing, of course, is to keep the main thing the main thing. Salvation, Paul says, the gospel is the main thing, and that's why it's so foundational. There are many different kinds of answers that are given to church issues. I'm on several different emailing lists. And I don't know if for your line of work, if you get different things and folks write articles and they suggest stuff and whatever. But here, here are the titles of emails that I've gotten in the past month, just the past month. Ten ways to improve announcements in your church. Six ways your church can grow now. 
Overcoming guest barriers in the church. Eight reasons, this is great, eight reasons many churches are living in the 1980s. Well, that's pretty good. Eleven ways to be the church for those who don't go to church. Nine things a church bulletin must have. Eight reasons some pastors aren't ready to lead through revitalization. Eight reasons many pastors lack confidence. Ten signs you're leading in maintenance mode. Ten reasons you need to send a weekly email to your church. Nine relational evangelism ideas that work. And finally, five ways some senior adult churches became younger. That's all. Those are all the answers that I got this past month. The answer is, what's wrong with the church? Well, here, the question is, what's wrong with the church? Here's all your answers. I don't do math very well, but that's a lot of stuff. A lot of numbers, 11s and 10s in there. It adds up pretty quick. There's a lot of stuff I need to be doing, apparently. A lot of things we need to make sure that we're doing. We've got some changes to make in our announcements. We've got some changes to make in our confidence and our leadership and so on. Those are all the answers that are given. I'll just tell you, there's nothing inherently sinful or wrong or misguided about any of that stuff. The sources from which they come are all credible. All good folks who love the church and want to see pastors and churches and so on succeed and do well. But they're not the main thing. They're not the main thing. And if I'm going to preach a series on church health, I've got to make sure to take us first to what is the main thing. The main sign of church health isn't necessarily addressing all of those or getting more people or more money or nicer buildings. What we need to do is go to the Scripture, ask God to be brutally honest with us. And if I could ask you anything as as a pastor of the church here, that would be that in your individual life, and especially, I think, for this series, together, is that we would collectively ask, God, would you just be brutally honest with us about the health of our church? What's healthy, what's not? Where are we really getting it? Where are we missing it? God, would you be brutally honest with us? And then we need to make any and all adjustments, any changes necessary to be the church that God wants us to be. That's what we need to do. Paul says the main thing, what's most important, even for a church with some issues, is that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised again, and that he appeared to the disciples. He presents to them the gospel as their main focus. So if we are to remain healthy, as Paul goes on through this, let me just give us this morning four things and we'll close. Four things we must do if we are to remain focused. If we're going to keep the main thing the main thing, how can we remain healthy? There are four things. First of all, we must keep the gospel where it belongs. To remain healthy, we've got to keep the gospel where it belongs. Paul again says in verse 3, For I passed on to you as what? As most important, as first in line, as the line leader. we got some elementary kids in, in, in the church. As the line leader, the person that scrambles to the front, I want to be the line leader. As what's most important, Paul says, if you're going to line up everything in the church, this has to be the line leader. What's most important is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep it where it belongs. It's got to be primary. It has to be primary in our individual lives. I realize that you go to work or you go home or you do your thing during the week, and and church, as it is gathered, is not necessarily the first thing on your mind all week long, and that's fine, so long as the gospel is primary and first thing on your mind. It defines who we are. Some of us are defined by what we do for a living or by the mistakes we've made, the sins we've committed, the failures that we've had, or even the successes. And Jesus, by his death, by his burial, by his resurrection, says, I'm going to redefine who you are. 
You are not the things you do. Instead, you are forgiven. You are free. You are loved. You are valued. You are whole because of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you live a gospel-focused life, it redefines who you are. And it must also not only be primary in our lives, but primary in our ministry. It redefines what we do here as Elm Grove Baptist Church. All of our aspects of ministry and services, they've got to be about the gospel of Jesus. What we do is because of and flows from our salvation. You think about what gospel-focused life and gospel-focused ministry looks like. It's free of shame. If you're walking around with shame after shame after shame for all the stuff that you've done, that's not of God in any way. The gospel has come to set you free. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, there's no condemnation, no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus because he set us free from all that. A gospel-focused life is free of shame. It's free of legalism, just trying to check off the boxes and do everything right and hope God's okay with you after the fact. It's also in church, it's free from competition. If we're focused on the gospel, guess what? We're not worried about what First Baptist is doing or what Harden is doing or what Westside is doing or what Poplar Spring is doing or what any other church is doing. We're not in competition with any of them. We're free to be the church that God has called us to be right here in the Elm Grove community for as long as God wants us to be here. That's what we're free to do. If we're focused on the gospel of Jesus, then we praise God for what's going on at Hardin and Westside and First and Poplar Spring. We praise God that we're all working together with them to reach this community for Jesus Christ. If the gospel is guiding all that we do in ministry, then we will have conversion. And make no mistake, hear me on this, we will have conversion, not church membership, as our primary goal for people to walk through our doors. We'll want them to meet Jesus, not to become part of our church. Maybe becoming part of our church happens after they meet Jesus, but listen, we don't care about anything except introducing them to Jesus. If the gospel is guiding all that we do here at Elm Grove, then our decisions will be based on the will of God, even if that means we give up some of our personal preferences. It means that we'll shift our focus outward instead of only concerning ourselves with the already served and the already reached. It means that every meeting of every group and every committee will be Jesus-focused and not us-focused. It means that we'll see the cross of Jesus, be reminded of His grace, and then shower that grace on anybody and everybody we come into contact with. If the gospel is our focus, if we keep it where it belongs, in the center of the church's life, then we'll be willing to constantly change, to accommodate what God wants, even if, as the old saying goes, we've never done it that way before. I'm going to tell you, if the gospel is our focus, it won't matter if we've never done it that way before. Because we'll follow the leading of our Savior and we'll say, you know what, we've never done it this way before, but we believe that's what God wants us to do and praise God for Him leading us in a new direction. And maybe, just as the wind blows through here today, God's going to do something new got to keep the gospel where it belongs that's in the middle of everything we do secondly we've got to believe and keep on believing we must believe and keep on believing look at verses one and two i want to clarify for you the gospel i proclaim to you you received it and you've taken your stand on it you've also you're also saved by it if you hold the message i proclaim unless you believe for no purpose he said look you've believed don't be shaky in your faith don't give up on the commitment that you've made keep on believing 
Paul said, look, I've passed this along to you. Here's the gospel. You've received salvation. You've taken a firm stand on it. And now somehow your faith is a little bit shaky. Continue, he says, to stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that never changes. For some, apparently they had made maybe a situational or a temporary commitment or had situational or temporary faith in God. And Paul says, hold on a second. Any kind of situational or temporary commitment or belief, it's useless. It's no commitment. It's no belief at all. It's sort of like being on the bandwagon. You know, I, there's a lot of new Cubs fans these days. <laughs> the Cubs are good, again, for the first time in a century and a half. And they, they're playing the Cardinals. And I know we got a lot of Cardinal fans here. And Cubs fans are coming out of the woodwork, aren't they? But I'll be honest, Cardinal, y'all are nervous, aren't you? Listen, I, I, as a Reds fan, I don't. I, it's all over for me. It doesn't even matter at this point. I don't have. No, I have no dog in the hunt. I got nothing, so I'm good. I can just sit back and watch it and laugh. Cardinal fans get all nervous. Oh, I don't know. Are we going to win? Are we going to lose? But isn't it interesting? How many people? When things get exciting. They'll jump on board. And Paul says, "Look, maybe you got excited about something." Maybe you thought Jesus was going to do this or that or whatever for you. And so, oh yeah, I'll follow the Lord. Paul says, you've got some issues and folks, you're jumping off the bandwagon. He says, keep on agreeing. Keep on believing in the gospel that brought you salvation and live by it. Live out who Jesus has made you to be. As a church, if we're going to keep the main thing the main thing, we've got to believe and keep on believing. Truly believe what we say we believe. Trusting God, not ourselves, to guide the church. Listen, we've got some great leaders here. Later on tonight, I'll meet with our church council. I know our trustees are meeting every month. Our deacons are meeting every month. We've got lots of great leaders. But none of them are to be trusted apart from trusting Jesus Christ. None. Not even me, not even the trustees, not even the deacons, not our church council. Not any of them. We've got to trust God above anybody else. We've got to give ourselves completely to Him. Not just going through the motions of getting together on Sundays. Believe and keep on believing the gospel, living it out. Thirdly, we must humble ourselves in light of the gospel. Look at what Paul says. This is. You realize Paul wrote half the New Testament? He's the first and greatest Christian missionary. He was incredible. Some folks would, would, would look at him and say, well, he's not Jesus, obviously, but he's not quite human. He's somewhere in between. I mean, he, he was something else. And look what he says about himself. I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy, this is verse 9, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am. That is an apostle. And his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them. Yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. Paul, he says, look, I'm overwhelmed at what God has done in my life. Your, your, your salvation story may not be as incredible as Paul's was in Acts chapter 9. Where he's knocked down by a light from God and a voice from heaven. And he was on one path, and immediately he's changed from another path. But let me just tell you this. I don't care if your story is that incredible. I was all of this. Like Paul said, I was a persecutor of the church. You know what? I was down the road. I hated God. I was into this, this, and, and whatever. No matter what your salvation story is, you went from being dead to being alive. You were dead in your sin. God made you alive in Christ. That is just as dramatic as what happened to Paul. My story was I was saved when I was eight years old. 
Recognizing my need broken. Recognizing my need for a Savior. Guess what? I went from death to life just as dramatic as Paul being knocked down on the road to Damascus. And as a result, Paul said, I can't take any credit for what God's grace has done in and through me. If we want to be a healthy church, let's be sure that we take no credit for what God has done in and through us. That we humble ourselves in light of the gospel that I was dead, God made me alive in Christ. I can take no credit for any of it. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And just because now I've been a Christian for 30 years doesn't mean that I've gained anything in the sight of God apart from the fact that I still stood in need of His grace and still do every single day. We can't take any credit. So whatever happens here at Elm Grove, whatever happens in and through us, let's humble ourselves in light of the gospel. Not thinking too highly of ourselves because we got more people, more money, better buildings than some other church. Let's respond to God as Paul did with total commitment. He said, I just worked harder than any of them after the fact, not to earn salvation, but because I was so grateful for what God has done in my life. I just gave myself completely to him. Let's pray, let's submit, let's be desperate for God to do something in and through us that only He can take credit for. Fourthly, we must be more than a morality club. Look at verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul turns this to a resurrection focus. Again, focus on what's most important. Here he goes again. But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Makes sense, doesn't it? If people can't be raised from the dead, then Jesus is still dead. He's not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation, our preaching is without foundation and so is your faith. What does he tell them? Look, if Jesus is still dead, all that I've told you is useless. And everything you've believed is worthless. It's empty. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses. That means liars about God. Because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. You see what he's telling them. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. They're in hell. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Paul says, if there's no resurrection, our preaching is empty and useless and worthless. You shouldn't listen to us. If there's no resurrection, if if the main thing really isn't the main thing, then your faith is useless. Jesus alive is what makes a difference in our faith. We don't believe in a dead Savior. We believe in a risen Savior who's alive to this day. He says, if, if, if there's no resurrection, then we're liars about God. We're telling you stuff that isn't true. Not only that, he goes on, and the most stark thing to me is that if there's no resurrection, Christianity is useless. Because eternal life then would be a myth. He says, we're wasting our time. We're to be pitied above everybody. Why? Because we're wasting our time. We've suffered for nothing. We've sacrificed for nothing. And we've given up everything this world has to offer, all the pleasures of this world, for a lie. Don't ever believe that, well, if, it, if, if all this stuff just, if it's not true, then I really haven't lost anything. I mean, I've lived a good life. I've been nice to people. I've done some good things. Don't believe that. It's garbage. If the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't true. You should throw off every, every 
restriction that you've ever placed on yourself and you should go live it up and do whatever in the world you want to do. Now, I mean that sincerely. There is no point in living a moral life if Jesus is not alive. If the gospel is not true, then you are wasting your time. We're to be pitied. We should have just lived it up. Christianity would be useless. We would be a useless morality club called Elm Grove Baptist Church on the east side. But because he is alive, we can't be just a morality club. We can't have as our focus in ministry simply just to live good, moral, upstanding lives. We can't teach our children that the essence of Christianity is just to be a good person and follow all the rules that that the church sets for you. It's got to be more than that. If Jesus is alive, we're called to be so much more than a morality club. We're called to be radically changed by His grace and to live that out amongst ourselves and in our community. I hope that we are and will always be so much more than just a morality club. Don't do this and don't do that. That we will be set on fire, literally changed radically by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And far more than just telling people what you should and should not do, we'll see God work in and through us to radically change their lives. A couple of questions as we as we close that I, I just want you to consider. The, the first would be, how is it that in your own individual life, how does the gospel, how does your salvation, how does the message of Jesus Christ, how does it need to further infiltrate your heart and your life? How does it need to, to touch you really inside? What else needs to be touched? Is it your mind? Is it your emotions? Is it... Is it your choices? What is it that God needs to touch inside of you? What inside of you needs to be changed? You know. What would you say to God this morning? Lord, infiltrate every part of who I am with the message of Jesus Christ to change me from the inside out. I mean, what, what if that was your prayer this morning? What if maybe for the very first time you say, you know, I need my life to be touched by the grace of God. I need to give myself over to Jesus Christ. I recognize that he he came and he died for my sins. The only way that I could be forgiven was that a perfect sinless sacrifice would die for my sins. God says, that's enough, and I'm going to hide myself under the cross of Jesus Christ. Give my life to him. What is it? How is it that the gospel, your salvation, needs to further infiltrate your heart and your life? And then, church, how, how does... The gospel need to change what we do. I I don't have all those answers. I I told you my prayer would be that we would just get honest before God and say, Lord, you just open us up as a church, as Elm Grove, and say, Lord, you be brutally honest with us. Show us what it is that needs to be touched by the gospel here. What what preferences need to die in you and me? What preferences need to just die and go away? What needs to change? What needs to be revitalized with the power of the gospel? How is it that in our lives and in our church, the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be returned to being the foundation for who we are and what we do? I wonder if you'd pray those prayers this morning as we close. Let's bow together.